ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And we're the Rocketeers. Matt, we just got back from San Diego Comic-Con. Woo! That was pretty fun. You know, we had a blast last year, and for better or worse, you were only able to come for one day this year, but we fucking knocked it out of the park. And I got to say, overall... We had some amazing experiences this year. We had some ridiculous fucking interviews. We hosted Unbelievable. a panel. Unbelievable. We met some of our fans. I mean, like it, it I keep every year keep saying Comic Con couldn't get any better, but this year this year was freaking incredible. Yeah, that that bar was kicked up a big notch for me for sure. And we're gonna do an episode going over the cool stuff that we did. That that'll be coming up next week probably. Us going over all the cool shit that we did, all the fun stuff we saw, the interviews we got, and we're going to be releasing a bunch of these interviews. But today, we wanted to focus on some very specific ones to get things started. Matt, what are we dropping today? We got to interview comic book legend Kevin Eastman on uh, Friday of Comic-Con, last Friday. And uh, he was just a super cool guy. He was kind of like a stretch for us. We figured that he might be a little too busy at San Diego Comic-Con to talk with us. But uh, lucky enough, his wife, Courtney, got in touch with me after I'd sent a couple requests. We figured it out. We were a little nervous because we we got to where we were supposed to be like 15 minutes early. And we're like waiting, waiting, waiting. And they're not there. And they're not there. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, are we gonna, are we gonna get ba- are they gonna bail on us? Are they gonna bail? And then she she texts me and she's like, hey, we got a little, we got to push a little, like for a half hour, we got a little behind, but we'll be there. And then Aaron and cousin Mike, you two were like, are they really coming? Are you sure? Do you have confirmation that the-? I was like, yeah, 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 they're coming, they're coming. because. Well, <laughs> They were like, meet at the Dark Horse booth, and the Dark Horse booth, it, it's a big booth. Like, they have Huge, yeah. a store, it, they have like a signing area, they have a little press area. And there's like multiple and like, areas and multiple yeah. like entrances and exits. So it's not just and like, like oh, I'll meet you right here. What corner did they tell you to <laughs> beat them at? And you're like, well, I thought it was this corner. I'm like, are you sure that's the corner that they think that it's sure that it's? And I was just like, I was, I was, I was not happy. It also didn't help that nervous. Courtney had said that they were going to be at Dark Horse at one o'clock. I assumed that they had something. I, I th- oh yeah, and the dark horse people yeah, were like, we I don't know what you're dark talking horse. about. Like, we're here to interview Kevin Eastman, and they were like, okay, where, where is he? And we were like, oh, I thought he had something here at one. And then they're talking, dark horse is talking. They're like, no, we don't have anything with Kevin Eastman. Well, and you know what was happening while we were there, right? Yeah, like they had all these people from Firefly. Like Joss Whedon was oh, there, that's right. like, jo- talking it was to Joss people. Whedon and Nathan and Fillion, right? Nathan Fillion and and some girl who I should have recognized, but I don't. Yeah, and everybody was losing their shit, and we're like ignoring that. We're like, yeah, we're Kevin like Eastman? nerds, get out of the way. We have to look for other things. <laughs> people are like, we heard Joss Whedon went into the ba- uh, bathroom, and and there was security with him. I was like, bitch, I got an interview to do. <laughs> <laughs> that lady who was like, I saw Joss Whedon go to the bathroom. Then she immediately asked Cousin Mike, what did he do? Yeah, who's Joss Whedon? <laughs> and it's like, why are you excited? Why are you excited for this guy if you don't know what he's done? <laughs> it was very funny, though, to be like, you know, they're looking at an actor and a you know producer, director, writer, 
and yeah. we're like, we have this huge comic book guy that we're trying to interview that we don't know where he is. So we're like, we're a little like I wouldn't say I was nervous about the interview. I was excited for it, but and, I was and, nervous. And, that, well, there's high anticipation. For yeah, sure. yeah. And I'm worried like. You know, I wouldn't blame Kevin Eastman if he had something else come up that he had to bump the Launchpad podcast. I mean, it's a great show with some funny, handsome hosts, but like you created the Ninja Turtles and are working on multiple projects at the same time. Like I would get if you had something else going on last minute at San Diego Comic-Con on Friday, yeah. which I think was the busiest day this year. But uh, we're like looking all around, like, get out of the way, Nathan Fillion. <laughs> Trying yeah. to find him. Security did not like us hanging around because we were literally just like scanning. The, and they, I think they thought we were trying to like ambush one of those guys. And it's like, I don't want to talk to Joss Whedon. Then I was. I mean, I would, but. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah get in line, Joss. Yeah, get in line. <laughs> then we were like sweet talking the PR girl and trying to like figure out side tangent interviews if while we were there. And then finally, yeah. Courtney showed up and, you know, they were right around the corner. She's like, you know, Kevin's just finishing some stuff up, but, you know, telling us like a little anecdote about how everyone thinks that, you know, they have the rights for everything, all the merchandise, but they don't like he doesn't just get tons of Ninja Turtles merch and stuff. So she was telling us that he recently was like, oh, that book is out. I would like a copy of that book. And the guy <laughs> yeah, you negotiate for the copy of the book that you created the characters. Yeah. For. And some like so whoever whoever's book it was. And they like. Yeah told him he had to buy one the guy wouldn't even like give him his i was like i would be honored to give kevin eastman my book of his like you know what i mean unless it was like a, right? unless it was an omnibus if it was an omnibus mr eastman you gotta buy your own that's so funny <laughs> but yeah we we got to talk to the creator of the ninja turtles and this is awesome because i i grew up on ninja turtles you grew up on ninja absolutely, turtles absolutely absolutely oh man I had all the toys I possibly could, even the dumb ones. <laughs> <laughs> of which there were plenty. Now, if you don't remember the dumb ones, Rumi, what can someone do? They can go listen to our terrible toys episodes. You can actually listen to both our toys episode. Early on in our Launchpad uh, career, we did two a two-part series that was uh, uh, awesome action figures and terrible toys. And both of these are fun episodes. And the awesome action figures is us just being super stoked on the toys that we love, the, the Ghostbusters, the Ninja Turtles, G.I. <laughs> Joe, you know, Batman toys. But then terrible toys, I, th I think that was the first time I realized us bagging on stuff is kind of funnier yeah, than and us. People, like, do, people do respond well to that. One, it's you know, it's us talking about toys that we either had or were aware of growing up that just sucked. And Ninja Turtles. What was it? Donatello with a human face and trench coat. Yeah, I had that one. <laughs> and then there was Raphael like, as a as a party magician. Yeah, I was gonna say birthday clown Michelangelo. Like Jesus <laughs> Christ, where did you guys even come up with those ideas? Where did they come up with this stuff? What was do you do you know what your first introduction to turtles was? Yeah, I was like in. I want to say first grade even. I was in first grade and some kid pulled out like in out of his backpack was like, I got Donatello. I got Michelangelo and I was like, I don't know what those are. And they were like, loser, <laughs> you loser. And I was like, ran home. I was like, mom, I, I need those. I need I need whatever they were. We, we I need them. Let's go find them. And they were like, no, you don't have to fit in with the guy. I was like, but I do. You were like, I needed no, Donatello I, and she got you like a piece of fine art. <laughs> <laughs> it's hanging on the wall it's um pretty pricey but can't play with it definitely does not go in the tub <laughs> i had i don't remember what grade i was in but i'm pretty sure it was a kid named robert monroe pulled out leonardo from his backpack yeah. and i was like what a cool thing that it's like a turtle man he had two swords which i thought was awesome swords? And oh yeah! Oh, and right? they had all these little things. He's like ninja stars that fit on his belt. Extra swords, a little knife thing that, that kind of looks knife. like a dong. 
Yeah. That looks like punching what? Knife. That looks like a dong. <laughs> what, do, what does your dong look like? <laughs> a couple of them. I think Raphael had a little, a little pouch in the back of his belt for that dong knife. And I think he was the only one. Yeah. But they had all sorts of like sweet little weapons that came with it. Tons of them. Tons of little weapons. I don't remember what store it was, but when I convinced my mom to, to take me to get one, I went with the idea of getting Leonardo, and then I saw that they had a whole bunch of them, and I got a, I ended up getting Raph. Raph was the first one, because I thought the size, I think that was the first time I'd ever seen a Psy. I thought that looked so cool as a weapon. Three knives? <laughs> what? Then I watched the cartoon show, and was like, wait, they don't stab anybody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I guess the foot soldiers are robots. They got fucked up a bit, but... And like I guess I guess the sigh makes sense because it's like used for blocking as well. But in my head, it's like it's just insult to injury. You got one big pointy thing, and then two little pointy things. You're like stabbed you, double stabbed you. <laughs> 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 so when you push it in, those two pointy knives are just like the last one little knife, piece of three holes. icing on the murder cake. <laughs> <laughs> Turtles have been such a big part of comics, really, for the entirety, yeah. almost the entirety of you and I being live. We were really excited to talk to Kevin Eastman about that. But oddly enough, as it pans out, and this is, I don't want to jinx it, but this is just like the Comic-Con luck that I normally have. And I think now you and I have had it the last two years. We're waiting to interview Kevin Eastman. We're talking with his wife, Courtney. She goes, actually, he's having a meeting right now with the other two creators involved with his current project. Would you want to interview them as well? And we were like... Yeah, we would want to interview them as well. Sure. Yeah, why not? So, and they had a really they had a cool project going. It's called Drawing Blood. It's a Kickstarter project. They raised a they raised a crap ton of money. They made, met a huge goal for mm -hmm. it. It's kind of oddly enough a little autobiographical about Kevin Eastman, but not really. So they get to kind of play a, uh, play around with a, a comic book creator mm. who is kind of going through a rough patch. And the funny thing is this comic book creator, the fictional comic book creator, created a, a comic called the Radically Rearranged Ronin Ragdolls and they're like <laughs> samurai cats, which is like, hmm, what does that remind you yeah, of? Yeah, exactly. It's pretty funny. It's very self-reflexive. Eastman yeah. said he's actually in it, like he's in that world. Superheroes and comics are part of that world. So it's very interesting. Instead of explaining more, you want to jump to the interview? Yeah, let's drop Let's cut thing. to it. Yeah, guys, check this out. This is an awesome, awesome interview we had with uh, a number of creators, including the great Kevin Eastman. All right, welcome to Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And we have some comic book royalty in the house. Matt, who do we have? We have Mr. Kevin Eastman, and Mr. Eastman is joined by Mr. David Avaloni. Very good. Right? Very good. And Ben Bishop. And That's right. these three gentlemen, you may know some of them, you may not know any of them, but guys, can you tell us what are you working on? Yes, David and I created a concept called Drawing Blood. It's a, a series set in the world of comics, little... Uh, Spinal Tap, Breaking Bad, a lot of other comic book-isms set in the world of comics. So David and I created the series. We did a Kickstarter last year, funded it, and the first thing we did after we came up with the idea was to try to find an artist to help bring us to life, and that brings in Ben Bishop. That's me. <laughs> and Ben, if you want to talk about a little bit about your uh, sure. aggregate. And yeah, yeah. so I had done a book. Kevin had found me through this book I did called The Aggregate, and it was all self-published, and obviously you know Kevin Eastman started with self-publishing. And so he found something he liked in that whole uh, journey of mine and said, hey, do you want to draw a book for me? What are you doing for the next year? 
Yeah, I was down, uh, this is David, I was down visiting Kevin and we were in the beginning process and uh, we hadn't found an artist yet and he had the aggregate on his table and he said, hey, what about this guy? Look, yep. at, look at how great this stuff is. Look at how great he captures emotion and acting and we really need that yes. in this. So I said, hell yeah, text him, get him, <laughs> lock him down. Yeah, ben, did your, did your head actually like open up when, <laughs> yeah. when you got a call from... Yeah, it was, studios it was crazy. that they wanted you on board. I was at Heroes Con. It was only two years ago, um, a little less than two, maybe. And uh, I was at Heroes Con, and I was having an all right day, and then just drinking with some buddies. And I was like, I just got an email from Kevin Eastman, and they were like, "Get outside <laughs> and write him back." And I was like, "Okay, I will." And uh, and then from there, we all decided Kickstarter would be the way to go. And yeah. I had done one of those, and so we all hands on deck made a giant Kickstarter. Ended up. Raising $100,000 to bring this book to life. and It's amazing. Getting amazing. some other talented people on board like Troy Little and Brittany Peer and Tommy Varga and Taylor Esposito. Let's do this. Uh, uh, David and Kevin, can you guys give us the pitch of Drawing Blood? So if we haven't seen the Kickstarter, if we're not quite sure what it's about, can you give us a one or two sentence pitch about what it is about? Uh, Drawing Blood is the story of a comic book creator named Shane Bookman who is on the downside of the roller coaster of early fame who created a billion-dollar franchise, lost all of his money, and started over again, and were in the process of watching him put his life back together. Is that okay? It sound like <laughs> it's it? Perfect. No, it's perfect. It's like, like, Half of that no. was from a pitch we wrote two years ago <laughs> that I vaguely remember writing. Yeah, no, and the idea um, sort of where I, I met uh, David and we sort of mind-melded on this thing is I had this idea of, um, wouldn't it be, you know, interesting that if you had a character um, that created a concept that really had early success, you know, much like you think like a, a rock musician or a sports star that makes a lot of money. Some of it isn't uh, spent wisely. Um, it loses his creativity, loses his mojo along the way, and this has this sort of begins this fight to try to find that happy place again. Um, so Dave and I took not only a basic, very semi-autobiographical aspect of sort of my experiences in comics, but we have so many other friends in the business that we hear these incredible anecdotes, especially at a you know convention bar after the show. You know their relationships with pu different publishers or Hollywood or struggles with their own creativity. So we sort of put this all into this one character that you find lovable, likable. You know, he's struggling. He's a decent guy trying to do the right thing, but he just went down a few um, dark alleys that he should have gone down. So it is all about comics, setting the world of comics, finding your creativity, bringing back to what you fell in love with the comics in the first place. And Shane's journey is pretty incredible. So for you guys, what is it like writing something that's more of like a, a realistic fiction as opposed to superheroes or mutant turtles or something like that? Well, it's, I guess it's kind of interesting because we're able to, you know, having this character exist in that world of all things comic books where there are superheroes, there are mutant turtles, even, I would want to give, do any spoilers, but, you know, right. I mean, I exist in that world, everything yeah. in comics. So, yeah. you know, the final scene, I will say, is um, in, in poor Ben. Uh, well, David wrote it and then Ben had to draw it. was um, the whole final fourth issue, which is the fourth installment, uh, takes place at New York City Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, and oh, it wow. also happened wow. to be like crunch time to try and get everything done for this show. So it was the hardest issue and the least amount of time. <laughs> and that issue, the fourth issue, is loosely based. It. Thank you. I think it's great. Your art on it is great. But there was sort of a famous controversy re revolving around a certain movie made by a certain filmmaker, and we have fictionalized that controversy. Oh, what a tease. I can't <laughs> wait to read that. Yeah, yeah. I think like people know. I think people that remember a certain press conference and a certain bad interview and a certain mess that needed to be cleaned up. Uh, you got to save so you got to you know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably but it, things will look familiar. 
No, I think that's what's been so much fun, not only because um, the collaboration between us, David and myself, and Ben especially, is that it's, it's sort of like we, you know, we are the, the creative team behind this, and even Troy Little to what we brought Troy into, the hallucination scenes of Shane being haunted by the characters he's created. But we're able to put in, there's lots of Easter eggs, lots of in-jokes, but it's stuff that yeah. comic book people will get, but it won't take away from the story, certainly. Yeah. The story is a, a straight sort of action adventure, there's comedic parts of it, there's drama, there's, you know, a lot of emotion and that kind of stuff but there's stuff that you know people walking around a comic book convention and reading their you know this whole fourth this particular fourth sequence are going to be like oh my god I was there at that show <laughs> I remember that awesome. I remember and that. So, it's, a, it's a it's a common thing in media to tell the story of a, an artist it's usually a filmmaker or a novelist or whatever but we really don't feel like this specific story has been told and generally so. when people do autobiographical comics they're truly autobiographical like Harvey Pekar sure. and it's sort of D lower depths indie stuff mm -hmm. no one really tells the story of like working in big mean mainstream things yeah. uh and so watching and then, a character go off the rail yeah, yeah and then life after that yeah. like life this is that. life after that and then what's he gonna do next like yeah. i'm was, sold i'm yeah, sold it's awesome you'll dig it david and kevin what about ben's prior art made you guys think he would be right Jeez, for this project well I, <laughs> I, I i alluded to it earlier because it's not a, you know, it's not a superhero book. It's not an action book per se. There's action in it, but it's not an action book. Most of the story takes place on Shane Bookman's face. Mm -hmm. So we, what Kevin really pointed out to me when we looked at the aggregate was the, what he called the acting was very solid. The ability to convey story through the main character's face. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to do 1970s, you don't have to do a Chris Claremont 500 word thought balloon is like, uh, oh, yeah. Gene didn't look at me the right way this morning, and Wolverine is angry in Colossus. I don't know what he's saying. Like, you go back and read that, and you're like, wow, this was like groundbreaking at the time, and now I'm embarrassed for everybody that, yeah. we, that we thought this was deep. And to, in a more cinematic way, let the art on the panel tell you what the guy is thinking and not. And there's a little bit of uh, first person voiceover narration by me, but I come from a film background, and I try not to say anything that Ben is able to tell you. Yeah. Or, well, or Kevin in his pages. Yeah. No, and that's it. It really is. It's, it's basically being able to tell a, a, you know, a complete emotional beat or complete emotional moment just from one panel with no words in it, as well as, you know, being able to, because Ben has an excellent sense of being able to tell a story, tell a story well, but sort of put it into where you can go to the big shots, set up where the characters are, how they're yeah. going to move through it, move into the emotional moments and the beats. I mean, one of our favorite panels, we all agree, of many, many favorite panels, is this straight scene where... Uh, Shane and his uh, best friend and also the guy that gets into trouble with the most the character named Beasley which is kind of based on Simon Bisley kind of uh, kind of um, <laughs> but they're, they've been they've been through a, a pretty dramatic event in the story um, and they're just sitting at the bar laughing having a moment but there's no dialogue in it there's no, no anything there's just them sort of sitting there and you get the whole moment and you go like ah that's and, a happy place and Shane's got so many emotional moments in the story but most of them are sadness or confusion or sarcasm and, and this is the one moment where he's rubbing tears out of his eyes but it's from laughing so hard so it's like a really really sweet yeah. spot that's interesting and, yeah. yeah great ways to show off, so. different pieces of emotion that usually don't come when Wolverine's just punching people in the face yeah, yeah, you get to I explore mean, some more depth that's awesome and coming from awesome. self-publishing it's like I'm so trained to do just the faces my first book was 300 pages and it was a love story with two people like wow. for 300 pages and so that's a win way to learn yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't 
didn't start with capes. <laughs> uh, see, that's awesome. That's but really I can good to do capes if you're listening. No. <laughs> <laughs> so just so our fans know, when can they find the first issue? Where can they find it? Where can they find out more? Well, for now, it's only going out to Kickstarter Copy people. That. Once the smoke settles on that, we'll be offering it to people. It will probably be at a publisher sometime in the nearest future, but we yeah. can't really talk about that just yet. Fingers crossed. That yeah. sounds like a great project. But it'll be back. Sooner yeah. than later, people will know where they can buy the first issue of Drawing Blood. Yeah, basically, we, you know, we're pretty much finishing. I mean, the issue, the, the first trade is done. The, we actually did an accompanying book, which is called The Radically Rearranged Ronin Ragdolls, which was the, mm -hmm. the, the book that uh, Shane and his brother Paul created in 1992, published in 92, which led to the success, the huge success that he had. So um, that'll come out as a trade and as part of the Kickstarter supporters. But we are hoping and planning that by early fall, we'll have a publisher and we'll release it in individual issues and then continue on and complete the series, which is an additional uh, five issues, which takes you up to issue nine. So That's um, Great. Where, we'll, is there a website or something that people can keep updated if they're not a Kickstarter supporter, the, where they can kind of keep an eye on Facebook what's going on? Facebook has been pretty active. It's just okay. facebook.com slash drawingbloodcomic. And then same thing on Instagram, drawingbloodcomic. Soon, the Kickstarter page right now is the drawingbloodcomic.com, but soon that will be a, a real working website where you can buy the book and things like that. Yep. That's great. We couldn't let Kevin Eastman get away without asking him some Ninja Turtle questions. Of course. I mean, we grew up on Ninja Turtles. We, of course, were obsessed with it. But one of the things I, I found out recently, because he's like, did you ever read the super hyper-violent Ninja Turtle comic body count? I was like, what? So oh, I went yes. and found it. This thing's insane, man. What? It's insane. How did that come about? Was that a reaction to, like, the kitty cartoon? Well, basically, its evolution was we were still, you know, we were at a point, say, in the in the history of the turtles where it was sort of what they call the, the resting period for the, you know, the it was, it was 1990, 1995, 1996. You know, the, the turtles really weren't out there in the way that they were initially. Peter and I always kept, you know, certainly with the Mirage Studios and to the publishing, we always kept that brand and that publishing line as ours. So, we, we you know, that's where we put the edge of the stories, the darker stories, you know, if you wanted the animated stuff, you got the Archie comics or you, other things that specifically related to the younger version. And so around that time, uh, Simon was visiting me and we, um, I was talking about this director that I just became aware of, a guy named John Woo. <laughs> he just became hugely popular and, you know, after talking, mentioning John Woo three or four times, Bisley was like, well, who the heck is John Woo? He said it more colorfully than I just did. Um, <laughs> but I said, well, you know, so I showed him like Bullet in the Head and Killer and some nice. of those movies and he's like... Holy smokes, this is awesome. We got to do the longest. We got to come up with a story that we can tell the longest running gunfight in comics because you don't see gunfights in comics very often. And it was also around the time that we both wanted to work on a turtle story together. So we basically mind melded those together, focused on Raphael and Casey, the craziest of the two, and we came up with Body Count. And even in the early days, it was one of those that I think Pete um, thought it was a little too edgy. So we ended up publishing it initially through Eric Larson's uh, division of Image. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. It came out as a collection in 1996. It has not been seen since. IDW, through their top shelf brand, felt that, you know, with the ongoing Turtle series, which I work on month to month with the incredible Tom Walls and Bobby Kernow and all these fantastic artists we do in the ongoing series, we literally just finished issue 86. It's edgy. It's more intended for an older audience anyway, more close to the original black and white series. Mm -hmm. So they felt the timing was right that, it, you know, we could bring something like Body Count back because the audience is set and focused on it that wouldn't 
confuse the marketplace, like some child going into a comic store looking for uh, the animated turtles <laughs> and ending so up with body count. That's so funny that you count, say that, because so. I remember being a kid, and I think my first, actually, the action figure was my first exposure to turtles, mm-hmm. then obviously the cartoon, then the movies and stuff. Right. But at some point, I understood that they were comics, and when I went back, I read the comics, and for those of you who don't, who don't have a visual of either body count specifically or Simon Bisley art, body count, the, the, the cover is like a badass raft with like ammo belts and grenades and guns <laughs> standing against a wall that has bullet holes in it. And yeah. that's Simon Bisley all. Like all that's Simon yeah. Bisley. Yeah. And when you, a lot of times Biz will do the cover of something mm-hmm. and then someone else does the interior. And sometimes that works and sometimes the, the interior does not live up to Bisley-ism. the excitement of Bisley on the cover. Mm-hmm. But Bisley did the, all of the art for Body Count yes. and it is just... It is a John Woo movie in a book. That's a great... I never heard that that story before, but that is exactly what it's like. Yes. And it's funny that you mentioned how it came out and then was never seen again because it came out of hardcover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just telling Courtney, I'm big. I'm a big hardcover guy. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find a copy of that. I was bugging Fiona about it. Fiona said I might have a couple on eBay, but they yep. were like way too expensive. Yeah. Finally bought a soft cover, and now the hardcover's out again. IDW, did they just release? They Literally, I think the, um, they have a convention exclusive here, black and white cover, then the full color, busily painted cover. Cover, and it's coming out in hardcover only, I believe, at this point. But I think uh, Top Shelf IDW is going to start. It's going to roll out in August. So I think uh, that's fans awesome. Out there it can is like an R-rated, no holds barred shoot 'em up with Casey and Raph. There's a whole. I mean, there's a kind of thing about like guns kill people. Don't don't guns aren't as cool mm-hmm. as you think. And then like there's just this awesome gunfight the whole pretty much the whole story. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it really is. It, yep. It's it's top notch. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, and we, we absolutely had a blast doing it, and uh, and it's finally after all these years. I mean, we're talking about 96, we're talking about it hasn't been seen in 20 years, basically, so it's coming back out, which is uh, actually the timing is very interesting in that we... Um this year, um, one of the things that Ben and I are doing, having finished the first uh, chunk of uh, um, Drawing Blood, is we're doing a, a Raphael macro series. It's basically a 45-page one-shot. IDW is doing a, based on, you know, kind of like the original Mirage Studios one-shot featuring each individual turtle. Sure, yeah. They're doing 40-page one-shots featuring each individual tur- turtle. Sophie Campbell's doing one, a number of, you know, a few other. Um, and it's coming out this fall. But Ben and I are rolling into, off Drawing Blood, into what uh, we're calling, it's Raphael Target R. And it's sort of our love. Uh. Uh, Love poem to the original Barry Smith X-Men Weapon X story. Oh, wow. So, How uh, cool is so that? We, so we've got Raphael as the main. So Raphael is our focus. Casey's a big, has a huge role in it in their relationship. Ben's flying home on Monday. He starts drawing on Tuesday. Um, the story's been written. We're working on the breakdown. So we'll finish out. It'll be out in December. It has to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ben's first turtle story. He's done cover. Congratulations, covers, man. That's, is, that's uh, exciting. Growing so, up, what turtle did you always want to be? Uh, growing up was Mikey, and then I grew into Leo. There you responsible gets it done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and Ben gets it done so that's awesome no, man no so I'm super excited and also you know we have another um, awesome part of our relationship is we're both native Mainers we both grew up in the the great state of Maine okay okay so it was great for the first time I reached out to Ben and, and met him he still is in Portland I went to Portland school art for like six months before they asked me <laughs> Basically, for me, we really don't do comic book stuff here. The teachers still talk about you. They said that you were always drawing pizza mobiles and different weapons <laughs> made of slices and pepperoni. And I say that, you know, those stories get better over time, especially yeah. especially if they're day drinking. I don't know. So, no, I, I love them. But it's, I, that's, I still have a lot of family in Maine. So it was great that, you know, to get back together with a, uh, a fellow maniac, as we call ourselves. And, is, that um, literally, is that literally what you guys call yourselves? Yep. Right. Yep. Not judging. Well, it started, I think, because people from Massachusetts that came to Maine for vacation, we used to call them mass holes, yes. and people in Massachusetts call 
called us maniacs. So it's like, so. anyway. <laughs> Love it. You, you mentioned story. Let me ask you. I'm a huge Daredevil fan. He's one yes. of my favorite superheroes. Mm -hmm. And in the very first issue of Ninja Turtles, there are a lot of nods to Daredevil. Yes. Is that something that you did because you have an affinity for the character and you're a yeah. fan of the character, or was yes. it more of like a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of nudge as a joke? Like, well, where did that, where did the, the influence of Daredevil in that specific issue come from? Well, it's definitely not to Daredevil. And when Peter and I got down to what we wanted to do to tell the story of the creation, the origin of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we put in all of our favoritisms, like everything from. Dave Sims Ceratus and the Paracerebus and this sort of parody element. Mm -hmm. We picked our favorite parts of popular comics like, you know, New Mutants at the time. And that also harkened back to both Peter and I's original love from all things mutation, like, you know, the original X-Men comics, you know, the Fantastic Four, all those things. So we sort of harken back and pay tribute to the Jack Kirby things. But Daredevil, like the kind of superheroes I was uh, reading uh, when I was a kid was, it was Daredevil, Batman, Captain America. I like the more sure. kind of grounded, grounded guys. Yeah, yeah, street level um, kind of guys. But I was hardcore. Daredevil. I have like practically every single issue of Daredevil ever done, and I still remember clearly like picking up issue 158 at the comic store, and they introduced this new penciler. It's like, oh, this is Frank Miller. He's kind of good. Yeah. Um, and then you know, like the rest of the comic world got completely blown away for the next 30 issues. So uh, Daredevil has always been an important part of my life and inspiration. So we took just enough of the Daredevil isms, more focused specifically on the Frank Miller Daredevil isms. Just enough so Marvel wouldn't sue us, sure. <laughs> but, it, but it does tie into his origin, the turtle's origin, and it's a it's a great story and it's a great nod to one of my favorite characters. And now, have they ever returned that sort of nod? They didn't sue us, which was good. There so. you go. I'll take it. <laughs> that would be. A good, I'm just saying, anyone that's listening, that would be a good crossover coming in the future. You guys did Turtles and Batman together. I'd love to see Turtles and Daredevil. That would be No, that would be, cool. I tell you, one of my biggest recent geek out moments was uh, we did uh, the amazing Las Vegas Comic Con and Charlie Cox was there. Um, and I was like, and it's like, I have such appreciation to so many of the artists and so many people I get to meet involved in our industry. But, you know, there's a few, there's very few things that I geek out about, but Daredevil being one of my favorite comic books, I thought what Marvel did with the Daredevil uh, Netflix series was so spot on. It was mm -hmm. so perfect, you know, mm -hmm. right up through to the defense and stuff. So I literally brought my Daredevil figure and I said, look, oh, I saw I, that on your Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I said, I want to meet Charlie Cox. He's the, he is the perfect Daredevil. And so uh, I met him. I told him the story. Actually, I brought him a copy of the first issue and I pointed out the Daredevil uh, tie into the origin. He sure. was like, oh, that's so cool. That is awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great stuff. That was a big geek out moment for me. That and drawing Turtles and Batman together on the yeah, same how cover. Amazing. That's so I mean, good. Geek Out Moments from Kevin Eastman, 2018 Comic-Con. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Mr. Eastman. And also thanks to Ben and to David as well. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, Thank you so much. You guys. Uh, hello to all the fans out here. Wish you were here. You probably are, and we won't see you anyway because there's 200,000 other people running around here. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> <laughs> but enjoyed uh, talking with you guys immensely, and uh, enjoy oh, the rest so of the much. show. Thank Absolutely. you. Have a great show, all right? Thanks. You as well. So... Yeah, keep an eye out for that, guys. And as you heard, we were talking about that comic book body count, and they let us know that IDW had some like convention-exclusive version of this in hardback. So Matt and I ran ran over to IDW like immediately afterwards and bought body count books. Body count hardcovers, yep. Yeah. Convention exclusives. It's on a black and white cover. And actually, this episode is dropping... Wednesday the 1st, which I believe is the street release date for the actual hardcover. So if, you know, that John Woo long, and it is, I just reread it last night. It is the longest yeah. gunfight I've ever seen in comics. If you guys haven't read it yet, it is worth going and picking up. It is just 
a ton of fun. And I don't know if you read the in the back of it, he has some like little little notes about how they made sure, it yeah. and working with Simon Bisley. And one of the things it says, it has the highest flying eyeball count in comic history. <laughs> so, and it's like, so like, I was like, I started to go back and count and like lost count immediately because it's just every panel has somebody's head exploding and eyeballs flying everywhere. Yeah, I mean, if you guys know Simon Bisley as an artist from Lobo or Dread or 2000 uh, AD, he's... He's known for a specific style and an amazing detail and just a brutalness in, in physicality and fights. This book has got that on every single page. I'm looking at a panel right now that's got Raph biting the pin out of a grenade while holding like a Bisley-esque giant, almost like a M60 kind of gun. And he's saying, yeah. ha ha, ho ho, man, I love this gun shit. Chew bullets, you punks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking at a page that has, I, I guess, a, a Bisleyism. I guess as he, as he kind of gets late in the day on writing these, drawing these books, um, he starts to get a little crazy and draws crazy things into him. I'm looking <laughs> yeah. at a page where a church is exploding and these two characters are like, oh my God, explosion. But for some reason, there's like a mutant elephant peeking his head into the corner <laughs> and a monkey with a top hat and a bunny coming out of the top hat. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, it doesn't make sense no, to it's me. Not, either. They're, it's they're just not like, in any other panels. They're not part of it. They're not part of the story. It's just a bizarre, I think it was just one of those things he's like, well, it's four in the morning. I'm drawing this comic book. How about a little elephant man? Cool. I need a monkey with a bunny hat. It's, yeah. a, <laughs> it's, it's a fun book, guys. And it really is like, you know, Eastman sold it as a John Woo movie. And it really is. It's just funny. It's Raph just destroying people with guns while Casey's going, I hate guns. That's all Casey yeah. just keeps randomly saying, I hate guns. Um, it's, it's hysterical. But then because they... They mentioned if you get the books, we'll sign them. And so we went over to where Kevin Eastman was signing, and there was a line. There's a big line. And Matt and I are like, we'll just sneak around the side. And we were waiting for him to sign the books, and like at least four or five different people are like, you guys aren't trying to get stuff signed, are you? Yeah, they kept saying, the line for signings is over there. The end of the line is that way. And we're like, no, that's cool. Because she said, she's like, we'll get them signed for you. She grabbed our books, got them signed. We got cool signatures as well as little turtle sketches in them which yeah. is like awesome like i love that like for me signatures are cool and i guess i'd rather have one than not but to me talking with kevin eastman was the coolest part yeah. i also got neca released as a comic-con exclusive oh yeah i'm i'm pretty jelly about that that's awesome they sold dude. out in a day they released seven inch scale teenage mutant ninja turtles Mo the movie 1990 action figures now NECA and I believe you and I talked about on our uh, Comic-Con episode last year as well as I think that the, t the good toy episode we did way way back we were talking yeah. about their quarter scale figures which are beautiful these are the How same sculpts cool. they're just you know dumbed down to a, set, a seven inch scale as opposed to a quarter scale um and they released them dumbed as a, down. Not, How yeah, about not precisely down. miniaturized to a beautiful replication. I realized that as soon as court. I said it dumbed down. Sorry, Neca. <laughs> Sorry, Neca. I did not mean dumbed down. Um, pinpoint act. Pinpoint. Dumbed down. Dumbed down would be like what you get when you go to like Chinatown and they have those knockoff toys. That's like Turtle Man. <laughs> like he comes in a he comes in a pack with Batman and Spider Man. Thirteen to fifteen year old. Not regular karate tortoises. <laughs> <laughs> 
And all those figures look melted. Did you ever realize that? Like, bootlegs all look like they made them and then just, like, hit them with a heat gun for 30 seconds and then threw them in the packaging. <laughs> a, a floppy appearance, for sure. But NECA this year, as one of their Icon exclusives, was releasing a set that came in a big box that looked like a VHS. It looked like the VHS from back in the day. And the figures are gorgeous. They're in a beautiful window box. You could slide the cover off just like a VHS. And there's a big window that shows all four turtles, canister of ooze, pizza, their weapons. And uh, after the interview, I got to, to, to have that signed by Kevin Eastman. And as he was signing it, I said, you know, just so you know, I do practical special effects. And one of the reasons that I kind of got into that was as a kid, I was blown away by this movie because I knew that they were guys in, in suits created by Jim Henson. But I just thought that was, you know, I thought that was such an amazing way to bring those characters to screen. And like now I have this like super rare, super expensive figure set signed and sketched by him. But like to me, him holding it while he and I talked about it, that's the cool moment for me, you know? You know what the worst part about that is? You can't open that box and play with them. <laughs> I'm literally playing with them right now. I have Raphael in one hand and Michelangelo in the other hand. <laughs> no, you can't open it, dude. Now they're worthless. Dude, I thought about it. And like just to see, I I price checked on eBay how much the regular sets are. Just a regular non-sign set is already about twice as much as I paid for it at the con. So I can only imagine what the price tag is oh. now that it's signed by him as well. But like... You know, dude, you know how much I talked about those specific figures. I, I mean, I would have to need a piece of really important art. And it would probably, at this point, I've thought about it, have to be an Eastman piece of art to to move those from my hand. Because, uh, you know, and I, Mr. Eastman, if you're listening, at some point I need to buy art from you. <laughs> you have so much great stuff. I looked through the back of this uh, Body Count hardcover book and I loved your prelims for oh, and your yeah. layouts for for Bisley. Uh, I love the difference between that and some of the stuff that he actually published. So if you're ever selling those, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you little art hustler. Mr. Eastman, I will trade you something that you signed. I will give you a book that you signed because <laughs> I know you have trouble getting those books. And also, <laughs> I don't know if you ended up getting those uh, those NECA exclusives, Mr. Eastman, but I have one that's signed by the creator of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Oh, man, it was a good way to kick off the con. It was really good. It was so awesome to talk to those guys. It just goes to show, like, when we get to do this podcast and we get to meet people who, like, shaped the pop culture that we consumed as kids that really shaped what we were mm. into at an early age. And I got to say, you know, a lot of people I've heard going into this con when we were trying to get in touch with Eastman and then certainly when we got in touch with him, I heard a lot of people say, oh, he's great. He's really, really nice. You know, he bends over backwards for his fans. And it's always great to hear that. But it's something else entirely to see it. And I feel like, I mean, Mr. Eastman was so gracious. He was so humble. He was so cool to talk to. He's into it. Like, there are creators, and I've talked to creators who are just like, yeah, I drew that comic book. And they're almost like no mad biggie. at you that you like it. And you're like, "What do you want? first of all, what do you want me to do? I like it. If you don't want to like it, that's fine. But it's so cool to talk to somebody who created something that means something to you in any way, like a little, a lot. Did it influence you or did you just read it for a couple years? You know, did you have every figure or did you just play with them when you went to Frank Hefner's house? You know, like <laughs> all that shit. It doesn't matter. 
when you have a creator who's into it themselves and who's excited, and I feel like almost everybody, pretty much everybody we talked to this year, was excited to talk about the things that we've done. So let me let's do some name dropping, Rumi. Here, let's Ooh, let's yeah. tease some of these people who we're going to be talking to in the next couple of weeks. So we have Kevin Eastman, which you just listened to, and it was a great episode because he was passionate. But someone else that I got to talk to was Dave Dorman, who was a cover artist for Dark Horse and many other franchises and publishers for a while but he did so much his star wars stuff is incredible and i think next to like a drew struzman dave dorman is the look of star wars for me i agree and i i, I can only i mean right now if i had to start r- r- like rambling off dave dorman covers i bet you i can get to 12 or 15 before i had to think about it and to talk to him about star wars and what star wars meant to him and how he approached different covers how fucking cool is that? And he was into it. He wasn't like rolling his eyes. Still he wasn't looking at his it. watch. Cool and like it means a lot to him. And then I also, I won't tease what it was, but he, well, I'll tease it, but I won't tell you. He told me a property that he'd like to try that he hasn't really tried yet. It's really cool to see like the glint in his eye when he says that, you know? You have an awesome interview with Ann Nocenti and she, she took the helm of Daredevil like right after Frank Miller yeah. stopped doing it. And that's like, it was really interesting to hear that because that's such a big task and big shoes to fill. And she was like, maybe I didn't know better, but I was just really excited to get the chance to write something for Marvel. And she's created a lot of big characters, hearing her talk about how she created those characters. She created a lot of Daredevil villains. She created Longshot. She created Typhoid Mary. She developed a lot of characters, and and it's really cool to hear that process and to hear what she's working on and hear about working in Marvel in sort of, you know, the the late 80s and into the 90s. Yeah, and she, like I said, she's not jaded. She's excited. She seems to be, like, reliving, reliving stuff when she's talking to you about it, and she's interested, and I think, and I also think, you know, we got a lot of compliments for interviews and our panel and stuff, Aaron and I, and I think that's because we approach it as fans, and I think we're Mm -hmm. professional, like, I don't think we nerd all over everyone's feet, at least hopefully we don't, but I think we do a good job of being like, (laughs) you used to be the biggest fucking squid, remember? (laughs) I know, I know. You used to get trouble for it. Squid, 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 squid. But like, I think we do, we walk a real fine line of nerding the motherfucker out, but also being professional about it but it, i think it comes across as like how passionate we are about what we're talking about and i think that oh, kind and of it's thing hard. is hard it's right? hard to be professional it is like for sometimes sure. you have to like contain it cuz you just want to get super pumped and like run around and get, well aside like, from anosenti we have an interview coming up i got to interview dave gibbons the artist yeah. on watchmen and it's not the first time I've interviewed him, actually. And this yeah. interview, I thought, went even better than the first one. The first one was for the TV show you and I did a couple years ago called Geek Out. And that was great. And we were just talking about being geeks and the importance of you know letting your geek flag fly and stuff like that. But this year, I got to talk to him. I'll tease it. I got to talk to him about something that he wrote, not Watchmen. We didn't really discuss Watchmen. But... He was so excited, I, and I think it was because we were not discussing Watchmen. What we were discussing yeah. is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, and he was into it, and it was really fun for me to talk to him about that because he was vibing on it, you know? So be sure to keep an eye out for that, and there's more interviews. There's plenty more stuff that we did at Comic-Con that we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we talked to Sideshow guys about all the stuff they're working on and like what it takes to make a really bitchin' Luke Skywalker figure come out, talking about what, they're, what they previewed, what, they, what they're releasing. That was really fun. Those guys were really... Because they got excited, too. That right. was the best part. Is like They got excited. They were talking about something, and then they get like this spark in their eye, and they're like, oh, man, 
this is what makes this particular figure so special and so cool. Yeah, and I think we've been very lucky that we've interviewed some great people with some really, really interesting stuff to say, and their heart is in it. Whether they're, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a toy manufacturer or an inker or a penciler or a writer or whoever, they're excited, and I think that that's what it's all about. And that, to me, that's what Comic Con is all about. You know, yeah, um, absolutely. And you you meet those creators and you meet those people who are jaded, and that's okay, and I get that, but. You know, it's just a totally different trip when you talk about someone who drew or wrote something 30 years ago and they're excited to talk yeah. to you about it or they're at the very least excited to see you excited, you know? It, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we definitely have to give a big thanks for our first interview that we're dropping. Definitely big thanks to Kevin Eastman. What a guy, man. It, it was so awesome to talk to him. And then uh, his his co-creators for Drawing Blood, David Avalone and Ben Bishop, they were super cool too. Really great guys. And congratulations on getting that book. I mean, it, it takes so much to get a Kickstarter going and, and they reached their goal and you got you to gotta give it up to them for just still independently producing comic books and and keeping up with that kind of thing so keep an eye out for drawing blood that uh that'll be dropping soon i'd love to get my hands on a copy and start reading that yeah and it was great to talk to those people and i gotta i gotta say thank you very much to courtney eastman for helping us get that all aligned thanks for getting in touch with us and and working out the scheduling for that and also i want to thank my buddy lawrence klein he helped us get in touch with the eastman camp as well so i want to say thank you to to lawrence as well he's a big art collector we got to get him on the show sometime soon because uh man that guy he's actually friends with eastman and eastman has gifted him art before just like like in the 80s just gave him pages which is mind-blowing when you think about it but uh yeah thank you lawrence thank you all the eastman camp big thanks to kevin eastman we're looking forward to drawing blood we just had a great time reading body count if you guys haven't read it yet check it out and keep it tuned here because we got some real fun interviews coming down the pike and Rumi, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're not going to do what have you been watching for the next month or so. We're just going to release every week. We're going to release more Comic-Con content, more interviews. Yeah, we got a bunch of really cool interviews. So yeah, keep to the ground with that, guys. And keep up with us on our website, launchpadpod.com, and on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at launchpadpod. Let us know what you guys are up to. Let us know what you got at the con. Let us know what you saw. Did you get any cool interviews? Bet you didn't, because we had the microphones. <laughs> we had legit microphones this year, too. We had really cool colors. We had great mic flags. It looked you really good. You had mic good. flags. Ooh, yeah. We looked so legit, man. We had t-shirts with our logo on when it. When I interviewed Ooh, Dave we Gibbons, right, we dude. had an audience. Like There were people watching and recording it. And I was like, oh, you think I'm someone special. they're like who's that old man talking to one of the launchpad pod boys (laughs) they're like i don't know but he sure is a handsome boy what is that the (laughs) handsome boy podcast be sure to check out our website we're going to start pushing that soon because we've now officially dropped the teaser in the first issue of destroyer which is our destroyer official launchpad comic book which we're actually really excited about uh my buddy steve prince and i have been working on that Rumi's involved now and uh basically a bunch of our friends including Rumi are going to end up being in this book it's a lot of fun (laughs) if you like body count I mean it's very similar in terms of just like nonstop action for no real reason it's awesome (laughs) yeah every panel is just like 
Matt punching somebody's head off and explosions. Yeah, it, it, and it, it only gets better slash worse the more we go. It's just Steve comes up with an idea, I come up with an idea, and the other person's like, yeah, but what if this happened? And then we like pee our pants and then really quickly rewrite and try to redraw. So it's really fun. We're going to start. That's going to come out in earnest in September, but start checking it out yep. now. We'll po- be posting updates and little factoids and stuff soon. All right, guys. Until then, we're the Rocketeers. Out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.